Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. How do you wake up each morning? Are you excited for a new day with new opportunities? Are you kind of overwhelmed because you're not sure what that day is going to hold? Maybe you have just like a low-grade anxiety, and no matter what you do, it's still there when you wake up. Or maybe you're just happy to have another day, a fresh start. Maybe you're on the other end of that, and you're just sad, and you don't know why that burden lays on your chest every day. While I was recording this episode, I learned so much about myself and how I currently view my season of life. And then it brought into how I've taken on every season of life. We started talking about the environments we put ourselves in, the environments we live in every single day, and how they impact our hearts and our minds in bigger ways than I think we even realized. I asked Allie to come on because I saw every time I looked at her blog or even her Instagram, she was so happy and joyful and intentional. And I wanted a little bit of that. And I think you will too by the end of this episode. I learned that minimalism isn't just a trend. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. And it's more than just your stuff and what to do with it. It's a lifestyle that can change the way that you interact with people, with your family, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your kids. It's so much bigger than just throwing some stuff away. So I hope you love. No one told me I don't have to be overwhelmed. Let's just start with the basics, Allie. We're so excited that you jumped on here with us. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? What you love? Some of your family life? Just that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is I come in and I help women who are feeling just cluttered, whether that is physical clutter, mental clutter. I think we can also have heart clutter. Um, I think it could be all three of those things and more. And I think that the more you have, the more you just feel feel heavy. And I love to come in and just breathe simplicity over over women and over their lives and over their homes. I think it all starts at home and it did for me. And so I typically start there. What I love is coming in into somebody's life and just speaking life over them and helping them realize that it is a lie that it has to be overcomplicated, overwhelming, that good moms are stressed and always in servant mode and always like giving of themselves and never getting anything, you know, refilling for themselves. Um, I love just banishing those lies because I think that our culture is just covered in those lies and it, it just doesn't have to be like that. 
My husband, Brian, and I have been married for almost 12 years now. We met in seventh grade, and we're kind of in the same circle of friends growing up. And then we started dating right before high school ended, so kind of like the last minute. (laughs) And we have four kids. My oldest is my only girl, Bella. She's 10. And then Leland is eight. Hudson is seven. And Emmett is four. So you're not busy. You don't have that much to do, Allie. I can imagine that you just sit around. I have a, a lot, lot of free time. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm always looking for ways to fill the minutes. <laughs> breeze day to day, figuring it out. But it's that is what's amazing to me is you have four kids, those ages. And here you are, instead of you found something that worked for you, and you're just like, hey, everyone needs to know that this whole concept of decluttering and getting it together is actually doable. Mm -hmm. Sounds so big and scary, but I love that you're talking about it. Like, Hey, anyone can do this. So in your own life, when did you realize Allie that you needed to make changes that this was something that had to happen? It was about seven years ago. I had I had not had Emmett yet since he's only four. So I had just had my third baby. And I, at that point I had three kids under three Honestly, it was one of the hardest times of my life. And the problem was, and I think everybody, whenever I say my story, everybody always kind of has the same reaction. Like, oh, well, that's just overwhelming, like because of what it is. And that's what I believed too. And I was really struggling. And I knew like, I'm a Christian, like I love Jesus. And I believe that he had called us to have each of those babies. I knew that they were a part of my purpose. I knew that it wasn't a mistake to have them close together. I knew that that was good, but I was drowning. I was really, really struggling with depression. And I would kind of just wake up every morning feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't do this again. Like I just, I can't, I don't have what it takes to do this day and it hasn't even really started yet. And that is not a good place to be, especially when you're a mom of little ones that, you know, you have to kind of show up. You yeah. got to be high energy. Yeah, you got to turn it on. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to be a happy mom. I wanted to be a present mom. And I just was stuck in this place for months and months and months where I was feeling like all I did was wipe boogers and bottoms and make snacks and clean up after my kids. I really didn't spend any time pouring into them like I wanted to. And so long story short, I was having this ongoing conversation with the Lord like, what am I missing here? Because I know you've called me to abundant life. I believe that motherhood is no exception from John 10, 10, but this is not abundant. This is struggle. And is this a heart issue? Do I need to shift gears here? Is there a perspective shift that needs to happen? Show me what I'm lacking because I know that depression is not a place you want me to stay, um, you know, just until my kids are older. And unfortunately, Callie, that is the message that I was getting when I would ask like women that were ahead of me in life um, to kind of like mentors and older women. Like, what do I do? Why is this so hard? And it was basically just this resounding same answer of, yep, that's motherhood. Like, don't worry. They get older. And like, even though it gets harder in other ways, like you'll just get through it. That's so true, Allie. I just, I've never, that's so true. Yeah. It's just very negative. And it's masked in this camaraderie, I think. Like, oh, we're all just here barely getting by. And it is completely praised when a mom jokes around about how overwhelmed she is. And like, she can't remember the last time she took a shower and quiet time. What's that? Like, it's just this camaraderie we've created around stress and unhappiness and a lack of fulfillment. So 
as a mother, when you desire and choose to step out of that and get it together and thrive, so much guilt is laid on you for doing that. Like, how dare you be good at this? And so I was really, really struggling. And these women that I respected so much were giving me this message. And I just, in my personal walk with God at that time, I was, I kept seeing John 10, 10, like abundant life, abundant life. And I'm like, is there another meaning to that? Am I missing it? Am I taking it too literal? Like, what is this? So I had this day, it was this in the midst of all of this, this really, really hard day where I was just like, I had an appointment to go and get medication for my depression. I was barely just getting by until that day. And there's nothing wrong with medication. I believe sometimes you need it, but I didn't. And I thought I did. I needed something to shift. And I was just so desperate. I was ready after, you know, six months of this to go and get medicated. And I was just really struggling with the kids. They were just, you know, needy because they're babies. And I remember just getting them in front of a TV again, running upstairs, locking myself in my master bathroom and just leaning against the wall and crumpling on the floor in tears. And it was, it was an ugly cry. Yeah. It was a real ugly cry. <laughs> I had this. I think we can all, we all know those moments. Yes. Yeah. And it was, I just got really real with God and said, basically, you know, I, I believe that God can handle our realness and he already sees it. And I have never had a problem expressing to him exactly what I think and what I'm going through. And I just told him, this sucks. I don't know what is wrong with you. What is wrong with with me? What is wrong with my kids? What is wrong with this whole mom game? But it sucks. And I'm so done. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't want to be a mom anymore. And I just felt him come into the room. And so I felt like comforted by that at least. And I just kind of quieted down and stopped the full-blown hissy fit and just kind of said, what am I doing wrong? And I, I think I was kind of waiting for this philosophical answer. But what I got was, well, what are you spending your time doing exactly? And I was honestly irritated and you know, when you know it's the Lord because it's a thought that's not your thought and it just it just wasn't what I wanted to hear though. And so I thought about it and I answered just in myself like, well, all I do is clean up. Like it's, it's never ending. I clean up, but the house is always a mess. I'm not trying to be a neat freak here. I just don't want CPS knocking at my door because it's so messy. Like I'm just trying to get by, you know? And it's just constant. And I'm not able to, I don't even know my children. I don't spend time with them. I spend time maintaining them. And then I kind of felt further pressed, like, well, cleaning up what exactly though? And I remember answering out loud after some thought, like, I don't know, just stuff. It's just stuff. And I don't even know what it is. And it was like this lightning bolt went through my body from the top of my head all the way through the bottom of my feet. And I knew in that moment, I mean, I think that's an epiphany. I don't know. It hasn't happened again since. But I knew exactly what I needed to do. The tears stopped. I stood up. I wiped my face. I went downstairs. I made dinner. I finished the day. I got the kids in bed early. And I grabbed a big box of trash bags and I hit my house so hard. I went at it like 
anything that didn't feel worthy of my time. I was realizing that what is taking up my space is taking up my time and it wasn't worthy. It was clutter and junk and, you know, way too many toys because we had the first set of grandkids on both sides and, you know, the American dream, the house you can't afford that's so big, you have to fill it with furniture and then that furniture gets full of stuff and we have this constant input and zero output because seven years ago, Minimalism wasn't a fad. There was no documentary on Netflix. I didn't know that it was even called minimalism. I had just realized what I was doing and I was done. So that's when that was kind of my big moment and everything changed from there. You made so many good points, even in that small explanation, Allie, of just even the, um, and I'm guilty of it. It's like this exhaustion is just, it is like, you're just, it's just going to be who you are for a few years and it's okay. And at some point people are just, I heard a lot um, advice of it's just a phase. It's just a season. It's not forever. But then you think, well, I want to enjoy this season though. Like I don't want to be a pit of exhaustion and tiredness and wanting to know when I get to go to sleep or when I get to sit down. And I love that you said what you're picking up and all your stuff and all your time is spent doing things that don't matter, that aren't worth it. I love that so much. So you started with just some bags and you cleared it out. How did you not feel overwhelmed? I Like I'm sitting, I'm squarely in my living room right now. And as you were talking, I have so much shame in my heart. I'm looking around and like, that can go, <laughs> that can go, that can go. But I just, how did you know I need to get rid of this and not feel like there's too much stuff? I don't even know where to start. Well, first of all, for me personally, in that moment, I had reached a breaking point that I'd never felt before. I think everybody, like it doesn't take an epiphany to know that you've got stuff you could get rid of, but I just never really had looked at that fact and paid attention to it. And I was like, you have to understand, I was so done. I knew I was going to go on medication that I didn't want to get on. I knew that I was living my days, living currently my life. My daughter was three. That time was passing me by. And I knew that I was basically the opposite of the mom that I wanted to be. My marriage was not doing well. I really thought we weren't going to make it. I was just complaining and negative and overwhelmed and nagging all the time. Our evenings and weekends were, you know, we barely even had that together. My husband used to work a ton of hours before my business. And, you know, all I did was I had to make a choice. I can catch up on the housework and feel okay in terms of that, but lose out on family time. Or I can choose family time and have to, you know, pay the price of catch up the next day. And I was constantly, you know, tug of warring between those two options. And again, bringing it back to the original question, is that abundant life? Is that motherhood? That's it? I just wasn't okay with the lack of family time, the lack of play time with my kids, um, that I was so irritated when my newborn needed to be held. I just don't believe we're supposed to feel like that all the time. I, I feel like the mantra is we're just trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Get through, survive. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's, I've described it before. I've never even looked at it from the flip side that you're talking about, Allie, but I've literally described it before is that you've been thrown in the deep end of a pool And you know that moment that someone makes you laugh and you feel like you can't swim, but you're just doing your hardest to keep your head above water while you're trying to get to the side. That's like motherhood in the baby toddler years. Now, the way that you're describing it, that's just such a sad description 
of just trying to Absolutely. get by and living our lives that we're just trying to get by. It's what a sweet, beautiful, precious season. It's way too sweet of a time to be spent in survival mode. So you said you reached that breaking point and you started making changes. How did you shift it from just being a one time, I'm going to go through, I'm going to all the things that are not, that don't belong here anymore, that are wasting our time. How was that not just a one time thing? How did it become a consistent lifestyle change for you and your family? Because of the results, because in one night I had cleared out, I started in the toy room. I didn't really put much thought into that. I think part of it was just, it was the bane of my existence because my kids were so small. They barely even knew how to play with toys. Why was there so many? All they would do is go in there and dump them all out and then come out bored two seconds later and ask for a snack. So I I think that I just kind of went in there. And so in one night I got the entire toy room gutted and only kept what aligned with the kind of childhood I really, really wanted my kids to have. And even though they were so little, I knew futuristically, I really wanted to raise kids who were not obsessed with technology, who knew what dirt felt like between their fingers and played outside and had imaginations. I remember struggling with my purpose as a child. And it took me a very long time to figure out that I'm made to be an entrepreneur. And I really wanted to cultivate a sense of purpose and knowing in my kids. And I believe that that comes from being bored and knowing how to play and having space. And all those toys sure were not getting that done. So that is just kind of all these thoughts like this, what I'm saying was going through my head as I was making decisions about toys. And I was so done that I was able to just hit that room, you know, with everything I had. And so in one night, I got that done. And the next morning I was terrified that my kids, my daughter, because she was really the only one that could communicate well, was going to be like freaking out that all of her toys were gone. And I got them up. I made them breakfast, said, okay, go play like I always do. And I sat on the couch with my coffee and held my breath. And I heard her say, mom, you cleaned. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, I've been looking for this. And she got out couple of the toys that I knew to keep because I knew she loved them, but I hadn't seen them in a while because they were buried. And she played. And my kids, my 18-month-old and my three-year-old played in that room for three hours, which is ridiculous for that age, for any age. Yes. I have a four-year-old and almost two-year-old. So if you can get them to play for that long, you have hit glory land. Yeah, absolutely. I had a cup of coffee while it was still hot. I made myself oatmeal while I nursed the baby. I had quiet time. Um, I listened to the Bible on audio and just had this prayer time. I could hear the kids happily playing. It was a dream. And that was what made this not be a one-time thing, a spurt of energy and a fit of desperation. I looked at my calendar that morning and I saw that I had six days until my appointment to get on depression meds. And so I told myself and God, I'm going to keep going as much as I can get done with all these littles around me. I'm just going to get some stuff done. And let's just see if I feel better, I will cancel this appointment with a 24-hour notice period. And so I just did what I could. It was very slow going because that energy did leave me and I did have three littles. I had to, you know, make snacks and meals and stuff. But I just kind of hit the cupboards, the closets, just little bits whenever I could. What was bothering me? Like the areas of the house that I was embarrassed about. That's what I was going to ask you is what, how did you approach each room? I mean, with, was that just the question you asked yourself of what do I not like? What bothers me? What sucks my energy from this room? 
Yeah, that is kind of how I approached it. And now, now that I teach this for a living, there is a better way and we can definitely go over that. I didn't know any of this stuff and it took me months and months to get my house done and that was just unnecessary. It can be very quick, um, obviously depending on the amount of time you have, but I just kind of went at whatever I felt motivated to work on that day or faked to feel motivated that I was going to work on that day. And I, I did in the six days, I noticed a huge difference and I canceled my appointment and my depression lifted and never came back. And I think that it just goes to show that what takes up your space takes up your time. So if you eliminate what's taking up your space that you don't really love, use, or need, you give, you literally create more time, which is our most precious and only unreplenishable resource. That's huge. Allie, I love that you just, you started this almost on a whim, but here we are years later. And it's like, I'm not going to say you've perfected it, but you've bettered it and you're able to share that. So over these years, what have you seen over in all the conversations that you've had? How have you seen the benefits of minimalism in the lives of moms? How does it impact your kids and the kids of others? Just what are some of the results that you've seen outside of doing it in your own home? First of all, I've noticed that mothers seem to think that minimalism is not for them, like it's for everybody else. And it's crazy to me because over the last, you know, seven years since this event in my life, I have dedicated myself to studying this. I figured out that this is a thing and it's called minimalism. In the last like four or five years, it's really become a a hot trend, which is great. But I've noticed that mothers think they don't need it and they're actually the ones who need it more than anybody. Because like I said, what takes up your space takes up your time and we need more of that. We need less of what doesn't matter so that we have more time for what does matter to us. And so I've seen widows find complete healing from their husband's passing because they got rid of the stuff after years of it literally sitting the same as before he died. I've seen mothers On the brink, I had an email from a mother once who told me, I think I want to leave. They would be better with my sister. I sent her my program and we started to work through it. And I checked in on her and she's doing great. She's doing phenomenally. She's got two kids in Florida. She's happy. She's healed. She's better. And this isn't the only thing she did, but it catapulted her into feeling lighter and having mental space to work on everything else. She can have quiet time and work on her stuff in the morning. She can work through her emotional baggage. Um, And so I think that this is much huger than any mother realizes unless they've already, you know, come into contact with me. Minimalism is pitched very much as this trendy, like legalistic, oh, look how many items I have. I only have three pairs of jeans. I'm a minimalist. And it's not being, I guess for lack of a better term, it's not being marketed for mothers very much. And it absolutely is for mothers. And then it impacts your kids because the mom is happier and more fulfilled and lighter. Well, there's just something about it, Allie, that you can sit like you saying that you sat on that first day and had a coffee and your quiet time. The first thing that goes when you have kids is anything. You said this at the very beginning of our conversation is anything that fills you up. And just the thought of being able to sit with your kids and not have the pressures of what you need to be doing on you. I think that in and of itself is attractive, but I don't think moms, just like you're saying, I don't think moms know that that's an option. You can do that. Right. And a lot of women struggle with Well, who will I be, though, 
if I'm not stressed out and they worry about judgment from themselves and from other people. It's just this whole big convoluted mess that our, our society has told us this lie that you've, you know, it's got to be a total crap show. It's got to be really overwhelming or you're not really doing a good job. But I think a lot of moms really resonate with the impact that this has on children because we are just naturally giving. And it's one thing to talk about the benefits for you, and some people resonate with that. But a lot of women really take it to heart when I talk about what this does for kids. And I just have to encourage everyone listening, there is nothing aside from talking about the loving God that created us with my children, aside from that, nothing that I have done has made more of a positive impact on my kids than raising them in less, keeping things simple. We still, we're, you know, quote, normal. We have the Nintendo Switch and they play it on the weekends. We've got iPads and we use technology in our homeschool. Like we are normal. We like to play video games all together as a family. We watch movies. We, they have toys. But it's less it's simplified and it has limits on it to encourage them to play. They just spent the entire morning here before lunch playing outside. They laid out beach towels on the grass and they looked up at the sky and they were making up stories. They got up, they played on the trampoline. They were horses on the trampoline. Um, Three hours of, I don't even know what else. They just play. They know how to play. And why is that so lost? They're so grateful. They have such imaginations. My daughter has her own business where she sells the art that she makes. She knows she wants to be an entrepreneur. She knows she's creative. They have that sense of purpose and knowing what God made them to do on this earth at such young ages. That's exactly what I wanted. And I love that you said that that question when you talked about going through their playroom, but what kind of childhood do you want your kids to have? Because we still get to control that. Soon we won't get to control a lot in their lives anymore. Right. But I point this out to my husband all the time. Like when we're going to the grocery store and picking out foods and all this other stuff. Right now we get to control those parts. And I love that question is what kind of childhood do you want your kids to have? Because you get to pick. You get to decide that. And it's not just whatever happens to them. You get to decide and build the childhood that they get to enjoy. So if it is outside playing, I just love that that's the question you ask. Well, and you're deciding whether you own it or not. So you might as well own it and intentionally say, how do I want to kickstart their lives? What gifts and environment? Because if you even just like, everyone listening, Google, how does your environment affect you? What are the effects of a cluttered environment on your psyche? It's huge. How do you want to kickstart them? What kind of environment do you want them to have? Because that will depict how much mental space they have, how much, what are their cortisol levels going to be? Do they feel free to create and explore? Do they feel stressed? Are you always yelling? This is all because your environment is raising your cortisol. You think that doesn't have a domino effect? Of course it does. And they feed off of us so much. Yes. I remember thinking as a newborn, I read it that they kind of feed, they feel what you feel. And I could almost count into if I was flustered or stressed or upset when my kids were itty bitty and still now to some degree, but when they were very little and connected to me all the time, they responded to my feelings. They absolutely, they copied my feelings. So all of this is just so accurate. And I love how you reframed 
all of it. So for those of us, Allie, who are like, I want to do this for the same people who are sitting in their living rooms like I am and thinking, we've got some work to do. What are just some three, like three, maybe three things we can do this week or today or over the next month to start simplifying our homes and our lives a little bit? So to start at home, the easiest place to start now that I know and the clients I've worked with, the course that I've created, the studying I've done, the best place to start is the bathroom because nobody really keeps sentimental items and really difficult to make decisions about items in that room. It's typically broken hair dryers that you just kind of felt weird throwing out. So you, for some reason, kept it even after you got a new one, old makeup that's gross and you need to throw it away. Things that are easy yeses and nos, and that builds momentum because when you're done, you still feel the results. You still feel like so good that you got that done and you love the way you feel in your bathroom. I've even had women email me and say, I had my coffee standing in my bathroom this morning. And it's so weird because it felt so clean. And I wanted to be, and I didn't want to be in the living room. And it's like, yes, because you, your environment affects you. So start there. That's one thing. And then also like, go look at your calendar, just pull it up on your phone and just look through like your next week or, or a few weeks, what's on there that shouldn't be on there. That just makes your soul kind of fall that you just, so you're just, it's not right for you to be doing this anymore. Maybe it used to work for you, but you just need to get out of this obligation or just dial it down, pull your kid out of an extracurricular and just leave it to less. Where can you declutter there? And then I think also mentally, there's so much incoming into our mental space, constant noise and sights and decisions and things that need to be done in everywhere you look in your house. I mean, Callie, you're in your living room. If you look around right now, I bet you can start to form a mental to-do list in your head just from looking around. That's constant. So the opposite, like the decluttering for our mental space is stillness and prayer or meditating, getting quiet and just letting things go. So if you were to do those three things today, you know, declutter your bathroom, look over your calendar and just make one decision of less and then spend like five minutes of stillness decluttering your mental space, what would even happen for you? You could feel that difference even thinking about it. I remember one of the, with my first Henley, one of the first things that stopped happening was a consistent, just quiet time, a a consistent, just like, I'm going to let God fill me with whatever he wants to fill me with right now. That was one of the first things that I lost a grip on because I couldn't figure out how to work. My schedule was insane. It was, it was not my own anymore. And I couldn't figure out how to work it in. And I in the morning, you never know what time you're going to get up with a newborn, but then at night you're so tired. And during the day, You know, it's just, I could come up with so many excuses why it didn't work and who I was slowly started to change. Like because of that clutter in my heart and in my mind and all of that, I wasn't exercising any sort of discipline and getting it out anymore. It just kind of set in there like a rock. So I love that. That's one of the things that you said first to do is figuring out that time and when you can have it and consistently having it. And, you know, you talked about your husband a little bit and he was working a lot. And how did you get him on board with you? And I know we have a lot of college students who listen to this as well, who have roommates. How do you get your loved ones, the people closest to you who live with you or with you, how do you get them on board with you to to go at this new lifestyle? 
Well, first of all, I always say you don't have to have them completely on board to experience the benefits of this. So you can kind of just take that burden and that stress, that need to like shove them onto the same page as you off the table because it doesn't really matter. My husband comes from a background that had caused a lot of hoarding, which was one reason my home was overwhelming in the first place. Not blaming it on him. It just we both were contributing because you get married, you kind of take on each other's habits. And so when I started to figure this out, he honestly got panicked and he started to freak out like, oh my gosh, wait, we spent money on that. Like, what are you doing? And I, I, it started to build this wall of tension between us and I could feel that and things already weren't super back then. So I, I, one of my biggest goals in all of this was to improve our marriage. Like I somehow, maybe there's a tie between the clutter and my stress and how I'm treating him. And of course, you know, looking back, there was. So I decided this wasn't worth it and I'm not going to make this worse. So I just communicated to him. I realized that I was being really pushy and forceful and like, we're doing this. And I explained to him, look, this is where I've been. This is how I've been feeling. These are the thoughts I've been having. And they're honestly a little scary. I don't like that I feel this way. I don't want to be this mother. um, And I don't want to be this wife. This is helping me. I feel different. God really showed me this. And I believe that this is going to simplify my life. And I need to have that boundary with you that this is the way that I want to live. But I don't want to make you get on the same page as me because that's not fair. So how can we compromise? And we had that discussion and we ended up landing on, okay, I won't touch any of your stuff and you can have the entirety of the garage and the entirety of the master closet. And if I find anything of yours while I'm purging the other areas, I will put it in one of those places and I promise not to throw any of your stuff out while you're at work. And so we came to that conclusion and we stayed there for about two years before Brian finally came on board because all of his junk had cost us like five extra days in our, in our house we were moving out of and like 2000 extra dollars for a bigger moving truck. And he just kind of had this moment of like, you're eight months pregnant and you packed the entire house in one afternoon and I'm costing us all this extra time and money. Maybe you're right. <laughs> I, I hate to admit it, but I think you have a point. <laughs> Right, right. So that was my story. But I think ease up on that stress. Like you don't have to get everybody on board. I could have stayed that way in our compromise forever and had complete joy, complete fulfillment, totally been a minimalist. It would have been okay because your husband, you know, your friend, your roommate, they love you. They want you to be happy. They just don't want to feel forced into something that's not on their radar right now. That made me think about when you talked about Brian, say, well, these are things I want to keep. We paid money for that, whatever. How did you not feel some sort of guilt? Like you even talked about like having a broken hairdryer. I currently have a broken humidifier in our bathroom because I feel guilty throwing such a hunk of plastic away. (laughs) I don't know what to do with it. How did you not, some of the stuff that you were getting rid of, did you have a sense of guilt at all? Or did you know kind of you were more bought into the bigger vision of it? I absolutely had guilt, especially because, you know, when I talk about my business story, I always share more of this because it's more relevant, but we were incredibly broke. Like Brian worked all the time and we had nothing. We had to make food stretch really far. We would be like, okay, we just paid all of our bills except for these five and we have $20 left. And for two weeks, how are we going to make this work? Like it was really bad. Um, And so I was dealing with that. Like I can't go and get this stuff again. What if we need this? Like poverty and being broke will make you 
really stressed. And so what I've learned, like I'll answer this from what I've learned, even when we were still broke, that item was purchased at a time when you needed it for something and it served its purpose, but then it broke as things do, or you you don't need it anymore because you don't do that thing you bought it for anymore. So what's the point? And if what's taking up our space takes up our time, not a lot is worthy of it. So why can't we just understand that it served its purpose and we've moved on from it and it's okay? And I did have also another layer of guilt about things like that, like the plastic and like what a bad thing to throw away, but I can't donate it. That opened up the whole door into trying to get more, you know, eco-friendly items. And it made me really passionate about realizing what a contributor I, I am to not taking care of the world. So there's a lot of layers to that. But I think the point is remember where you're at. Remember your story of what stuff has done to you and And get angry about that. That will override the guilt of getting rid of stuff and let that guilt be a lesson to you. Well, I need to be a more mindful shopper. I need to think twice before I buy something that I'm not going to end up needing. I need to ask myself, am I buying this pair of pants because I need this pair of pants? Or am I buying it because I've been feeling really unhealthy and not taking care of myself lately and I feel like this is going to fix it? Like ask yourself, what's a gut check you can give yourself when you're shopping? And think of every wasted thing you throw away or donate as a lesson learned to make you better. Because the fact is you already bought it. Okay. So here you are, what, seven years later, just to kind of wrap us up and hone us in. What processes did you put in place? I think I even read you had posted this somewhere that even your kids know now when they're done with something, they've kind of adopted this whole mindset with you. So what processes did you put in place to keep all the clutter from coming back in? So I call it maintenance mode in my program because that's exactly what it is. You did the original purge. You figured out, you learned what was worthy of your space and what wasn't. But now what? I enjoy shopping as a person. That's what I choose to do when I have alone time. I'll just put my AirPods in and walk around Target and get inspired by all the beautiful pieces of furniture and fun little things that I could put on my bookshelf in my office. And just Target is a place of beauty, isn't it? Oh, of course. It is where I get inspiration. And I think it's hilarious because it's so counter what I do. But I I do. I enjoy shopping. I enjoy being out. I enjoy like finding beautiful things to bring into my home that fill me with joy and don't take up extra space unnecessarily. But like, what, how do you live then? Like, what will you, how will you do this? And so just teaching the kids what I've taught myself, what is worthy? That's the original question. Like, what is worthy of our space? We have, this is the toy bin that we have. We're not going to buy more storage because we don't have a storage problem. We have a stuff problem in our country. So our, this is the toy bin that we have. And if it's overflowing, it needs to be purged. So the kids just know that and they're used to that rhythm. And I make it a really big deal and get super excited when they say, hey, mom, my toy bin won't close. Maybe we should do that thing again. I'm like, yes, good job. You noticed that. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you. And they they get all lit up. They want to do that again next time. So they like fight to be the one to come down and tell me that the toy bin needs to be purged again. Because, you know, there's birthday parties and Christmas and grandparents and relatives that like to give things every now and then. So it just is a constant. Yeah, it's not you that's filling it back up. It's just people. You have people who love your kids, love your family. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. gifts are a way for them to show that love. And you're like, how did I end up with all this stuff? 
Absolutely. And I don't, I've chosen not to do the whole like giftless birthday party thing. I've chosen to not deprive people who waited their entire lives to have grandkids from loving on them and the way they choose to love on them. We have very normal birthday parties here. We have a very normal Christmas. We minimize the amount of gifts we give our kids, but we don't have limits on what other people gift them. And but we, we will give them ideas if they ask so that the things they're getting are things that they actually really want and they'll play with. But when we clean out everything, we, instead of just going to Goodwill or Salvation Army where they typically like light things on fire and don't even resell them, <laughs> we give them to like shelters. Like uh, there's a women and children's shelter that's run by this Catholic church down the street from my house and they do great work. So we give our stuff to them. So it has meaning. So there's always a solution to the things that are holding you back from doing this. Okay, Allie. So to wrap up two questions for you. One, you mentioned your program several times. Tell us a little bit about what you offer, how we can find it. Well, of course, we're going to link to it in show notes and everywhere else so people can find it easily. But I want people to know just how easy it is to kind of take this next step with you if they want to. Yes. So I actually, I was so excited to come and talk to you guys today. I made a special page just for everyone who listens with like free starter stuff. That is so great, Allie. You were meant to be an entrepreneur. I just really, I'm 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 so excited for you guys because there are two things that are just like fan favorites. They have stood the test of time in what I do and people love them. So if you go to AllieCasaza.com slash nobody told me, I've got the minimalist starter kit on there for you guys. It's a free download. Um, There's a video class with my husband and I together teaching minimalism for families and like how to start. And you can just kind of push play on that and listen while you cook or whatever. And then of course I have the podcast. That link is there too. And if you really want, like if you're the kind of person that does really well when your hand is held and you're guided through a a difficult process like purging your entire house, I do have your uncluttered home. It is a four-year-old program I am so proud of that program. That is kind of what's made me like nationally acclaimed and gotten me on TV shows and people want to talk to me about it because it is so unique from, you know, the books and the documentaries and everything floating around about minimalism out there because it's doable and actionable and realistic and it doesn't have that legalistic feel to it where you're like, these are the rules. You can only have 20 books. It's it's a philosophy of less that you can learn to spill into every area of your life, every nook and cranny of your house. And like I walk you through exactly what to do in every area. And what do you do if relatives aren't getting it? What if they're not on board? What exactly do you say to your husband if he's giving you pushback? What if your kids push back? What about school papers and all the other papers? You know, what about filing and digital stuff? What about photos? What about all of it? There's so much that goes into this and it's overwhelming. And so I come in and just clear that all off the table for you and show you like exactly what to do. Allie, you make this sound, I feel like I can do this. I mean, I do. You absolutely can. (laughs) This is an easy next step. We are going to make sure that all these links are available and easy to get to because this is just, I've never heard it so simply put, Allie. And so I appreciate that so much. But we round out every show with one question. What's one thing, Allie, that you are so happy someone did tell you about? This can be anything. I mean, just something that you're excited about that you read, ate, did, whatever it might be. Okay. Mine's random, but it's a food thing. 
So I have been struggling for the longest time, like years with, I have a, like a hormone imbalance disorder. Oh, welcome to the club, Allie. <laughs> yeah, it has been rough. Like my skin, my cycle, I have just struggled since for years. I mean, since I was a teen, but it got really bad um, since my last baby was born. And I heard somewhere, I don't even remember where, I wish I could give this person credit. It was actually a guy. And that, so that was probably why I didn't retain it. Because it's like, how do you know? But um, he, he said the oils that restaurants cook in cause hormone imbalance. And I was like, hold up. What? <laughs> we eat out a lot. We travel all the time. And I eat really healthy. But I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe that's why I feel like crampy after I eat. And so I cut out canola oil, the bad, like fake, really poor quality olive oils, vegetable oil, all the fake oils that restaurants, even healthy restaurants will cook with a canola olive blend. And sure enough, cleared up. I have no ovarian cysts. I have no breakouts. I feel amazing. A life-changing random tip that I just decided to try. It's incredibly hard to eat that way. And sometimes I have to leave restaurants, but oh my gosh, like I'm healed. I had a ultrasound last week. No cysts, no hormone imbalance. I'm, I'm fine. That is absolutely amazing. I would have never thought that that would be the key to it. I never would have even thought about that. I know. I, I think it. I think it's going to be like the next gluten because the oils are making everybody sick. Yes. Oh, Allie, listen. You do. You don't just tell us how to minimize our homes. You're also telling us how to balance out our hormones. You are a woman. Of so many <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> just a wealth of information. Um, Allie, I appreciate you so much. I can't wait for our listeners to to hear this and to jump in on some of these processes. I know that they are going to be better for it. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or you can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C-E-Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.